0: I believe he's having class this morning as well. Amen. As for the rest of us, we'll be turning the word of God to the book of Genesis. That's before Revelation. It's prior to Matthew, prior to Psalms or Psalms. Amen. We'll be going to chapter number 11 in the book of Genesis. So hallelujah. Amen. Good to feel the presence of the Lord in this house today. Nice to have a little rain uh, outside. Sometimes rain's a little dreary, but boy, we haven't had much in, in, uh, in a while. My grass is, is uh, dying further back and uh, not growing as fast. I'm not having to cut it as much. There's some silver lining there. But uh, we got some new flowers, though, and they need, they need some rain. They need some nourishment. My wife will be upset. If Mama's not happy. Nobody's happy. Amen. That's not Bible, but uh, that's truth. At least I heard somebody say that. Amen. Genesis and uh, chapter number 11. I'm going to utilize my, I don't know why we have an air conditioner pointing right here, but we, we do. But we need some air, though, at the, at the same time. So we'll, we'll, we'll leave that on. And we'll be uh, reading the first nine verses in the uh, book of Genesis. Actually, I'm going to just read the first verse of chapter number nine first. Chapter number nine and verse number one. Uh, God giving a commandment. This is after the flood. And he's speaking a commandment unto Noah and his sons. He said, God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, be fruitful. This is a command. It doesn't sound like sharp language here, but it is. Be fruitful, like when when Peter said, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's a command. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And that word replenish means to fill up. It means uh, to scatter. It means in uh, Three Stooges' language, spread out. God commanding. The descendants of Noah spread out, scatter, replenish the earth, he said. And now, continuing chapter 11, beginning of verse number 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. This is where the different languages come from in the world. And it came to pass, verse 2 as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to. Let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had from mortar. Slime, I've heard it said as tar. A few commentaries I've, I've read refer to it actually as asphalt. Slime they had from mortar. I'm not preaching about slime this morning. And they said, Go to, let us, build us a city. Go to, let us, build us a city and a tower whose top may reach heaven, And let us make us a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth, lest we obey the will of God, lest we follow the will of God and the word of God and see that will of God be done. We've got some rebellion uh, going on here. These verses I'm reading, by the way, are loaded, as are a lot of verses in the early parts of Genesis. Lots of stuff, lots of meaning behind the words. That you read. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower in verse 5, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they all have one language. How great. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, so it seems, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language. That they may not understand one another's speech. What an interesting thing. If I'm sitting here and talking conversing with Brother McNutt, and then all of a sudden he starts speaking Swahili and can't speak English anymore, and uh, and it's not the Holy Ghost. It's just, a, it's just the language that he can communicate in. I can't understand what he's saying anymore. I'm probably not going to keep talking with him very long. In fact, we'll probably start going our separate ways uh, a little bit here. So the Lord, in verse 8, scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth. They rebelled against his will, but he winds up using them anyway because God's will is going to be done. And they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And I'm going to preach for a little bit this morning on this subject God's way or the highway? <laughs> God's way or the highway. Lord, I pray you bless the ministry of the word this morning. Help me to speak things that need to be said, Lord. I pray that pe- your people would receive understanding tonight, edification of this morning, Lord God. That they would receive understanding from your word, Lord. That somebody, Lord God, would be would be fed and nourished by the word of the Lord this morning. I pray that somebody might come to a place of repentance even this morning before this a service is done. We pray all the remainder of this service and your blessing over it. We pray it all in Jesus' name today. Somebody said amen. amen. And you may be seated. God's way or the highway. A common saying that we've heard somewhere somewhere along the way, uh, Brother is it's my way or the highway. You've heard somebody say that to, to somebody else. Hopefully, hopefully nobody said that to you. Um, I can imagine very few people who would. In fact, can you imagine saying that to somebody? Who would utter those words? It's my way or the highway. Listen, you. It's my way or the highway. It would have to be somebody in authority over somebody else, first of all. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that to my assistants. I'm not gonna say that uh, to my secretary. That wouldn't be received uh, terribly well. Husbands, you might not want to say that to your wives. Amen. Imagine if I got home from work and I. And I said, honey, I want uh, X, Y, and Z on the table as soon as I get home and it's my way or the highway. When I walk through that door, there's a good chance, uh, Brother Wayne, that, that, that uh, four fingers and a thumb and a palm might be coming soon to a face near me. <laughs> Amen. No, actually, I could probably say just about anything. My wife would not do that. But, but, but boy, that would not be received well. That would, that would not go over uh, terribly well. Who would say that? I can only think of a couple uh, of categories of people that might say that. Uh, one would be somebody that's tyrannical, perhaps a tyrannical boss, a tyrannical, uh, boss, uh, a tyrannical uh, leader in, in some shape or form. Or perhaps the only other thing I can think of is a parent. Oh, my, I can see it right now. I'll get home in a few years, and my son comes, oh, Daddy, can I go outside and, and play? Well, wait a minute now, son. I, I see there's some things you haven't gotten done here. There's some chores that you were supposed to do. Look how filthy this is over here. This is supposed to be cleaned up. Now this is going to be cleaned up and it's going to be done well or you're not going to be going outside to play, you understand, because it's my way or the highway, you see. Amen. And that still wouldn't be warmly received even by my own child. It would be sharp uh, language, but that's about the only Person that I can think might be able to see that or to, to say those words. And what does that mean when you say that? That means, son, you've got one choice. You've got, here's the array of alternatives, my way. It's a multiple choice question. Option A, and then all of the above. There is no alternative option that's acceptable. You can use all the reasoning, you can use all the logic. You can use all the excuses, even philosophizing that you can come up with, but that's not going to fly because there is only one option. And if you decline that option, then you're going to have to face a consequence, and that consequence will not be pleasant. It is my way or the highway. Well, in truth, our Heavenly Father, though, and not in so many words, Uh, gives us a lot of uh, commandments, and we have with those commandments the same array of options that I just laid out for you. We've got the same array of options I just laid out in order to enter the kingdom of God, in order to become a part of his church, and ultimately to get to heaven under the new covenant. And the options are, there is one way, and that is his way. And he uses some pretty sharp language sometimes, sharper than any two-edged sword, to try and get this point across, because you have to go through Jesus Christ. You must go through Jesus Christ uh, to make it to heaven. Uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Why? Because the Spirit of the Father was inside of him. Jesus said, I am the door to the sheepfold. In John 10, he said, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Jesus is the only way of salvation. He is the great creator. He is the everlasting father who robed himself in flesh, lived a sinless life in human body, all the while still being omnipresent because an omnipresent spirit cannot be contained in a finite human body. And he allowed his sinless human flesh to bear the sins for all mankind and be crucified as he died for our sins. But then that omnipresent Spirit of God, not someone else, not some separate person, that single Spirit of God, three days later, came back into that human body and resurrected that human flesh from dead back to life, and it is that same Spirit that fills us when we receive the initial infilling uh, of the Holy Ghost. It is the great Creator uh, that fills us, and The biblical initial evidence of that initial infilling is speaking with other tongues. It is also that same spirit that's going to quicken us in the last day when Jesus returns in the air for his bride. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. I'm telling you today, Jesus went to great lengths in order to enact a pathway And a plan for us to follow that we might escape the penalty of sin and of death. That we might escape the torment of hell that was made for the devil and his followers in the first place. Because Jesus purchased this church with his own blood. And he has good reason for sometimes using rather sharp words. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Somebody said "Praise praise the Lord. And his word we see was equally sharp in the days of Noah. The Bible says God was grieved at his heart at the wickedness of man and the imagination of man's heart, as Sister Ivy talked about on Wednesday night. Things had reached a point with God that something major had to be done to deal with this problem of man's sin and wickedness and the evil imaginations of his heart that are only evil continually, the Bible says. And the way that he dealt with this problem was not going to be pleasant because a holy God cannot tolerate sin. Yes, he will accept you as you are when you first come to him, but you've got to repent. You've got to go through his steps of salvation, and you've got to change the way that you're living your life. You've got you to change the way that you're walking, the way uh, that you're talking, or God will not allow you to be a part of his kingdom. And things have gotten way out of hand in the world that Noah uh, lived in, but we see that because of God's grace, because of God's love and his mercy, he made a way of escape. God does not use sharp words, you see, and, and explicit instructions because he's a tyrant. He is not. He's not. He does not use sharp language, sharpness in his commandments or in his word because he's trying to make you mad. Oh, no. He loves us. He wants to see that your soul and mine are saved from a devil's hell. He wants to see that you are not cast out into hell, into outer darkness and apart from God, eternally without God. And because of God's love and mercy, and because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, God revealed to Noah a pathway to salvation and that involved the ark, the physical ark that he instructed him to build. And he laid out explicit instructions. Explicit. He said there's a specific type of wood that you're to use, Noah. There's going to be a specific floor plan, and this is what it is. There are specific uh, materials that you are to use. There are specific dimensions that this ark uh, must fulfill. And there's going to be a door to this ark, Noah, only one door. Because there's only one way that you're going to be able to get on to this ark. And there will be no more than this one door. And if man does not enter by that one door, he will perish. And he's going to face my judgment." And we see from Second Peter, uh, chapter number two, there were only eight souls uh, that were saved at this time. Although there seemed, would seem to have been an opportunity for more. In fact, Peter uh, referred to Noah as a preacher of righteousness in, in, in 2 Second Peter, uh, chapter two and verse five. Noah reached out, but only eight souls were saved uh, at this time. The masses were not saved. The many were not saved. Isn't there safety in numbers? No, there's safety in the Word of God, is where there is safety. Amen. And when the time came, the Bible says the Lord closed them in. The Lord shut them in. In other words, God is the one who closed that door. He decided when it would be closed, and he himself uh, closed uh, that door. And when God closed that door, all of a sudden, to those eight souls, those sharp words began to make sense. All of a sudden, those words of God, those commands did not seem so so off-putting if they had. And these eight souls safely aboard the ark uh, now had an explosion of understanding if they were looking back uh, into the past. In much the same way, the apostles must have had just a tidal wave of understanding when they were looking back from the day of Pentecost after the Spirit of God fell on on the day of Pentecost. And in similar fashion, we the saints will have this massive rush of understanding that's going to come over us at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we see in part, we know in part... But then, face-to-face, we're going to know much more. But by that time, when God closes the door to this dispensation, it's going to be too late for anyone else after God closes that door. We'll have some revelation then, looking back, but we can't help anyone. Thankfully, we serve the same loving God today that Noah served back then. He loves us today. Tell your neighbor, God loves you. Amen. And he recorded in his words specific and yet simple instructions. Simple instructions for us to follow in this day and under this covenant, in this dispensation, the new covenant. And they are commands. They may seem sharp, uh, particularly to the unsaved, but sharp or not, we must experience uh, the new birth. We must experience Acts 2.38 salvation. Jesus said in John 3, except a man be born again of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, Peter in Acts 2 8 commanded, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. These were explicit instructions, and they were sharp, and not everyone who heard Peter received these words with gladness. They were off-put a little bit, but it was the truth, and these instructions were clear, and these listeners had to ask themselves a question. Are we going to do things his way or some other way? Are we going to do things God's way? Or can we all come together and have, have unity uh, among us and come to some logical and rational agreement uh, another way, an easier way, uh, something that's more acceptable to everyone's way of life, something not so off-putting, something that doesn't seem so restrictive? That's a lie from the devil. The greatest freedom that you can ever receive is when the God of heaven frees you from sin and the bondage that comes with that. Amen. Amen. This is God's way for us today, Acts 2.38, salvation. It's his new birth under the new covenant, and it is outlined for us explicitly and very simply, uh, quite frankly, within his word. And this involves repentance, uh, first of all. Yes, that means saying, oh, I'm sorry for my sins, asking God's forgiveness. Much more than that, it means turning away from sin. Turning away from the old man, the old way of talking, the old uh, ways of behavior, and turning unto God and unto the ways of God. Paul said in Acts 17, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he's appointed a day in which he shall judge uh, the world in righteousness. We have to repent not only to enter the kingdom of God, uh, everything we do. Uh, for the Lord really needs to be birthed in repentance. When we were worshiping the Lord a little while ago, if your worship was not birthed in repentance, you were in an aerobics class if you were dancing before the Lord. Nadab and Abihu tested this. The fire went out. And yet within the tabernacle, this, this process of worship in the holy place was still to take place. And instead of getting fire from the altar of repentance... To burn that incense, they concocted their own fire. They got strange fire, the Bible says. It was not that fire of repentance. And they worshipped, they worshipped, quote unquote, in that way, and the Lord would have none of it. And he consumed them. Just like that, they were dead. Our worship must be birthed uh, in repentance. Not only must we repent, we must, uh, to initially come unto the Lord, to enter into the kingdom, we must be baptized in the name of Jesus I've mentioned uh, what Peter said in Acts uh, chapter 2, and this is indeed the fulfillment of Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. This is the water birth uh, that Jesus spoke about in John chapter 3. And when we baptize, we must do so calling on the name of the Lord as Ananias commanded uh, Saul of Tarsus, the future apostle Paul in Acts chapter 22. For neither is there salvation in any other, the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must, be saved. We must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We must receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And this infilling of the Holy Ghost is birth of the Spirit that Jesus spoke of in John chapter 3. In fact, Paul said in Romans uh, chapter 8 and verse number 9, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That's pretty sharp. And when we see examples of people in the book of Acts, The only book of church history in the New Testament. Uh, The epistles are not books of church history. Those are written to people that were already saved in the book of Acts. And every time in this book of church history, the book of Acts, somebody was filled uh, with the Holy Ghost. There was a sign we see that accompanied the, that infilling, and that sign was speaking uh, with other tongues. And it was happening in the first church, and it still happens to people today. We had that back to the day of uh, Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday, just a few weeks ago, and Sister Lauren received the Holy Ghost, uh, standing right over here. Other people were filled with the Holy Ghost, and there was a sign that accompanied that. God is filling people with the Holy Ghost with that evidence. Of speaking with other tongues, that initial evidence in 2023. Amen. This is the new birth. This Acts 2.38 message is the gospel Paul spoke of in 1 Corinthians 15. In fact, Paul said in Galatians 1, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you. There is no other gospel. Though we, if I myself come back to you or even an angel come back and preach any other gospel than that which we have uh, preached unto you, let him be accursed. Because there is no other way. These are God's explicit instructions, and there is only one way that you're going to make it to heaven out of this world. Amen. And once we've had that initial experience of the new birth, from there we're commanded to continue in the apostles' uh, doctrine of fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, uh, fasting, reading the word, giving, uh, tithes and offerings, modest dress, holiness, holiness holiness of living, without which uh, the Bible says, no man shall see the Lord, and I could go on and on, but this is God's way uh, for us today. God outlines for us in his word, his way, his will uh, for us in this day and in this age, and likewise, we see that Noah's descendants after the flood were given commandments for their time and dispensation. The dispensation of conscience came to an end, and here we see after the flood, the beginning Of this dispensation of human government. And God gave a command. I read in chapter 9. and verse number 1 of Genesis. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish. The earth. It was a commandment. You're going to have to scatter. You're going to have to spread out. Whether you feel. Whether it feels like a comfortable thing to you. Or an uncomfortable thing. This is my word. This is what I'm instructing you to do. You need to obey my word. But the descendants of Noah, we see, led by Nimrod, rebelled. And here we get to Genesis chapter 11, which is perhaps somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 years after the flood. And, in fact, Nimrod was a great-grandson of Noah, if you look into that. In the previous chapter, chapter 10, uh, as well as in 1 Chronicles, Nimrod is referred to using the word mighty. He's referred to as a mighty hunter before the Lord. This is not talking about uh, hunting of wild game. This doesn't mean he was an expert in in hunting down deer and and turkey. Uh, This means, this is referring to him as being a tyrant. He was a tyrannical leader. Uh, He was uh, full of pride and he had an insatiable craving uh, for power, uh, we can see. Uh, He was the type of person that might well tell other people, listen, this is what you're going to do, it's my way or the highway, you see. People that are not his children, and he's certainly not God, although he tried to make himself that, it seems. Because he was a tyrant, and he was full of rebellion. In fact, that name Nimrod literally means rebel. And indeed, we can see that uh, he's in fact a type, an Old Testament type of the Antichrist. Uh, similarly, the, the Antichrist in Second, Second Thessalonians is referred to that wicked. And if you look that, that word up in the Greek, that means uh, lawless one. And we see that Nimrod led uh, this, this, this lawless, rebellious Nimrod led this rebellion against God. And he was the leader in this, this, this valley of Shinar, this city called uh, Babel. Where although commanded by God to replenish the earth and to spread out, Nimrod saw an opportunity. He was an opportunist. He saw an opportunity to consolidate power, his own power, as both a political leader and a religious leader in this place. It was an opportunity to become a man of renown, uh, like the men in in Genesis 6 in the first four verses. Uh, To make his own name great uh, in the eyes of men. As I mentioned, Nimrod was a leader of, of both a political movement and a, a religious movement, and as a tyrannical leader, he was perfectly willing to jam his, his own agenda down the throats uh, of anyone under his rule. Does that sound similar to something we're living under uh, today in, in our current political landscape with the, the political elites and the big tech oligarchs uh, jamming their views and philosophies uh, down the throats of every man, woman, and child in America today and indeed all over the world? Nimrod sought to do, we see from Genesis chapter 11, three things as their leader. He sought to make a great name, and this speaks of pride. Pride goes before the fall, goes before destruction, the Bible says. He sought to build a great city, and within the context, reading this, uh, this is talking about a political system. Not not just a little geographic area with a certain uh, population in it. This is referring to a political system, a single world political system with one language, at that time with Nimrod as its tyrannical head. And he sought, thirdly, to build a tower. And within the context, we had the political system. This is talking about a religious system specifically, a single world uh, religious system. And this tower was uh, something in, uh, in, in Sumerian history referred to as ziggurats. And a ziggurat, if you ever thought about the Tower of Babel without looking into it, I have plenty of times, and I just... Thought about the tower. I thought about maybe a straight building like this, perhaps the the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and, and there's some pride that go along with building a tall building. People are always trying to build the tallest uh, building in the world. Back uh, in in the 1980s, I remember when I was a kid, and it was the Sears Tower in Chicago. Well, that's no more. I believe it's a building somewhere in the in the United Arab Emirates, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, unless somebody's passed that up today. These buildings get so tall, and you get to the top of them, and they can even sway and shake a little bit uh, with the wind, and it might be a little scary uh, uh, to get so high. This type of tower was not that. This was not something that was built straight up like this. If you can think of a picture in your mind of the uh, Egyptian pyramids, it looked more like that, except unlike the pyramids, which you just think of as a triangle, we had this large base, it came up, and then there was a flat area upon which you could walk, and then would have come up some more, another flat area. Some more, another flatter. And there were steps uh, that, that, that could go up uh, to the top. And, and the Bible said that they were trying to reach uh, into heaven yeah. with what they did. They were setting up a religious system, and they built this tower not in honor of, uh, of the God of Noah, the one true God, uh, but unto a multiplicity uh, of gods uh, that they, they believed in and worshiped. Uh, at that time, in fact, many leaders uh, throughout history believed themselves to be children of gods. Alexander the Great, uh, for example, believed he was a, a son of Zeus and, and many others. So not uncommon uh, throughout history, but but in large measure, this type of belief uh, was birthed right here. Uh, the, these many avenues of false religion and false doctrines were, were largely birthed right here at Babel and at the Tower of Babel. And Nimrod, we see, set up a religious a system, uh, n- not to not to honor God or worship God. This was a humanistic uh, religion. We hear this word thrown around a lot today. And humanistic means we're prioritizing uh, the will of God, uh, the will of man, the desires of man over uh, the will of God, the desires of God. If we even uh, account for for those at all, with these uh, humanistic uh, religions, you do not have to repent of your sins. Uh, you can live however you want to, so long as you obey the rules and guidelines set forth by these human uh, leaders uh, that are over you. And with this tower, they sought uh, to reach heaven, uh, not by God's means. They didn't have any use for the true living God in Genesis uh, chapter 11. In fact, instead of believing that man was created in, in God's image, they seemed to believe that, that, that God could be created in the image of man, just like many other false religions through the millennia. But in large measure, this is where they were birthed. In fact, uh, this is a religion that's very similar to what's spoken of in Revelation chapter 17 and 17 through 19, uh, where it's, it's, it's talking about the harlot. And in fact, we were just uh, uh, reading last night in, in Leviticus, and there are many places in Scripture where if somebody worships a god other than the true god, and, and they, they adhere to false teachings other than the teachings of the true god, uh, God referred to them as a whore, as going whoring. Uh, after other gods and the culmination of this religion really uh, is still in the world today and God refers to it in Revelation 17 through 19 as the great whore. We can see this harlot uh, church and and, uh, we can see pretty clearly what church this likely is in the year uh, 2023. This church and Revelation 17 was founded on false doctrine. It was, it was founded upon uh, false teaching. And in fact, uh, Nimrod, if you look into him through history, he was married to a woman by the name of Semiramis, who gave birth to, to a son by the name of Tammuz. And Semiramis claimed that she was the woman spoken of in Genesis Uh, chapter 3 and verse 15, which is also a a loaded verse in Scripture where it talks about uh, the seed of the woman. She claimed that she was this woman and that this son that she birthed, well, it was not the son of of Nimrod, uh, but in fact a sun god came and overshadowed her and she conceived and had this son, uh, Tammuz, and this allowed her to set herself up as their high priestess within this uh, Babylonian religion and that her son, was indeed the seed of the woman. That's a lie from the pits of hell as well. The seed of the woman was Jesus Christ. Amen. And that woman was were the people of God is who that's talking about. Her son was not the seed of the woman. This was false religion with false doctrines. And not only did they believe in a multiplicity of gods, but then they had, therefore, this belief in, in, in a deified uh, woman and child. And if you were to Google... Uh, Right now on your phone, Semiramis, that name, and go to images, you'll find a picture, and there's this picture, and it's kind of this oval-shaped thing, and you'll see a woman holding a child, a woman, a mother who is made out to be a deity. Does that sound familiar with any religions that are in the world today? Amen. There is only one God. There are not two. There is not a multiplicity uh, of gods uh, that are in the world. Amen. This is a false religion. It was late. We see later evidence of it in Egypt, and Greece. Eventually, it's centered in Rome where false doctrines were imposed upon by citizens by Constantine. Right. And we see this still in, the, in uh, 2023. There's a church that calls itself, claims to be the bride of Christ, claims to be the Christian church. It is not the Christian church. That is the great whore. That's That's the harlot that's spoken of in Revelation 17 through 19, and we need to understand that. God was not pleased with Nimrod, nor with the deliberate disobedience to his word that was taking place at this city of Babel, and the result of God's displeasure was judgment. We see that the Bible says he confounded their tongues, and we had the birth of different languages. We had the birth of of different cultures because naturally people are going to gravitate toward people who they can understand. And these groups then did unwittingly fulfill the will of God as they scattered and went in their own directions. Originally, this name Babel for this city literally meant the gate of God. But after this judgment, we see, and God explained this in uh, verse number 9 of chapter 11, now this name Babel and forever thereafter is known to mean confusion. Because of their disobedience to God's word, Because of their rebellion, because of their willful decision to do things their way and not God's way, the gate of God instead became a pathway to confusion. And this was their own doing. This was not God's doing because God is not the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians 14.33 tells us, They desired to make a name, but the Bible says that God resisteth the proud but giveth grace to the humble. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, Proverbs 16 tells us. One other part of the reason for the disobedience of the people of that city and the rebellion to God's command to scatter and to replenish the earth no doubt was a desire for safety, a desire for convenience, and a desire for an easier path. If you think back to the days of the pioneers and, and frontiersmen, uh, in American history, we had settlers like largely along the west coast, and then, then there were some pioneers that started crossing this mysterious mountain range, the Appalachians, and, and not really being sure what was on the other side there. And these pioneers and, and frontiersmen set out on their own. Uh, they had once they did that, they were detached from from any any groups, any any populace that they had. Uh, previously been close to that may have been to supply and help them with some of the needs that they had. They had to do everything for themselves uh, once they got out and, and set up camp Where in the places they were going to. They had to do everything in the physical sense uh, for themselves unless God supplied. There were no fast food restaurants uh, nearby if they got hungry. There were no convenience stores uh, there were no schnooks and no deerbergs. There were no clothing stores. There were no general stores. There were no hardware stores. There were no ready made homes already equipped with, with electricity and, and with water and plumbing that were, that were ready to buy. They could not call up the family physician if they got sick uh, where they went to. They were out on their own and they had to fend for themselves, they had to make their own clothing. They had to make their own soap. They had to hunt or grow their own food. They had to build and maintain their own homes uh, using the available resources around them. We would refer to this as roughing it. In fact, in uh, 2023, we would call a lot less than this roughing it. I I believe my sister not too long ago with her family went uh, glamping, they called it, and she said, oh, we were roughing it. And uh, and that must have been really... Trying at that resort where they were, and uh, oh, the hardship! But when God gave this commandment to replenish the earth, it was similar to what God told Abraham uh, later on when he said, Get out from under your father's house. He's commanded them uh, to go out. A little scary if when God commands you to go somewhere. Uh, that's far away. They were to go a long way, and they were not going to have a large support network. They were going to have themselves. They would have their families. They would have God. That's it. It reminds me a little bit of some of our old uh, missionaries, real missionaries, Brother Sobolchi, from, from, from days past, as Brother Hal told me a few years ago. He used that terminy, terminology, uh, real uh, missionaries. Not that they're not real today. They are but there was times years ago they did not have the support network they did have that they had today. Missionaries, and we'll have one coming at the end of this month uh, that will be here. They did not have partners and missions to help them uh, uh, with financial support uh, at that time. In fact, and, and yet they just had a call from God, and they were called to go far away. And I, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a testimony I remember hearing from Brother Billy Cole years ago. He's been deceased for fourteen years now. And I want to say it was in the early 1950s, and he and his wife were called to, to the mission field of Thailand. Of all places, that's where God called them to. And they didn't have a lot of money. In fact, when, he, when they finally arrived in Thailand, they had one dollar in their pocket. That was it. And he had his, his wife with him, and how were, the, where, how were they going to get shelter and food? They were far, far away, away from their family, far, far away from people of God that they had had known previously. But this is where God called them to go. And this was the days we didn't have cell phones. Not only that, he did not travel by air. They went by boat. And I remember this story that he told when they were on this cargo ship is how they traveled over there. And he, he was on this cargo ship, and you better believe that that was a little scary. And finally this ship, and I, I believe it was setting sail from the west coast, uh, somewhere, if I'm not mistaken, heading toward Thailand, unless, I, unless I'm mistaken on that, where they f- first uh, left port. And he had in this old, one of these old transoceanic transistor radios that he had. And they were perhaps a day or two away from, from land and just out in the water, just him, his wife, and a load of cargo. And so far already from home. And this radio, and he had this American stateside station that was still on this radio. And it finally uh, began to, to get scrambled. And you couldn't hear it so well. And finally, he lost that signal. And he said he nearly panicked. He, grabbed, he said he grabbed that radio and he began to shake it. Trying to get that station to come back. And he said, finally... That station began to come back in. And he said it played a song. And it was an old song from churches. In days past, there's room at the cross for you. And he said that song played, and it faded away, and he never heard it again. And he was going out so far. It was a scary, it's a scary proposition sometimes if the Lord calls you to a certain destiny, to a certain ministry. Some years later, 30-some years later, when Brother Sobolchi was called to Hungary, I I guarantee you, there were some nerves involved somewhere along the way there. He had confidence in the Word of God. He was not shaken from that. But it can be a scary thing when the Lord calls us to the road less traveled. But that's exactly what we're called to in the Christian walk. And what does that mean, that road less traveled? It means taking a narrow path, quite frankly, and I want to lay this out for us today. Jesus said, enter in at the straight gate in Matthew chapter 7. This was a commandment. Enter in at the straight gate, and that word straight means narrow. That word straight means difficult to be entered. He said, enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth. To destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, verse 14, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Scripture tells us that this broad way is the path that the many, that most of the people are going to take. And this is the road that is wider, the Bible says. Uh, this is the road that is uh, more accommodating. This is a road uh, that is easier uh, to take. And it's a road that can even give the illusion of safety. Perhaps safety in numbers, but that isn't just that. It's an illusion because, in truth, it is less safe. Because the Broadway, the Bible says, leads to destruction. One commentary that I have referred to this Broadway pastor as the Great Highway. The Broadway. It's the high. It's the great highway. And if I was looking into this word "highway" and studying this uh, in scripture as well, and there is a Greek word translated "highways" or "highway" that's mentioned three times and only three in the New Testament. And the definition of this word is a main thoroughfare, a principal street, a place of confluence where the many would be seen. You see the relationship to the Broadway here with this highway. And and it's used. Uh, Jesus used it a couple of times in parables in Matthew 22. Uh, When he said, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. Now, now specifically in this context, uh, this is a metaphor for the Gentiles. But more than that, it's it's really a metaphor for those that are outside the kingdom of God, whether Jew uh, or Gentiles. And and this was also used in in a parable in Luke 14. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out, in verse 23, into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in uh, that my house uh, may be filled. It's a place where you can find all who are in the world and outside the kingdom of God. Why? Because this gospel message is for everybody. This Acts 2.38 message is for everybody. It's for whosoever will. It is God's will for all men to be saved, the Bible says. And the third use of this word we see in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus... Excuse me, it's talking about, Matthew writing about uh, blind Bartimaeus. And it says in verse 46, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. There are people who have turned away from God or even people who have never known God. And they're out in the highways, outside of God's kingdom. And they're hungry for an encounter with the one true God. Some even begging within their spirit. They're that Desperate, looking for a relationship and knowledge of the one true God. And it's open for them today because this gospel message is for everyone. God may well call us to reach the high, to the highways, you see, as in these parables. He may well call us to witness, to reach the lost, the prodigals, and the downtrodden. But we are not called to abide in uh, the highway or, or the broad way, but rather we are called unto God's way. We are called to the straight gate, to the narrow way. We are called to follow and obey God's word. We are called to the road that is less traveled. Shall we stand? We see a lot of confusion around us in these last days and in this, this time that we're living, and man, do we see confusion. We see people having a month to, s- to celebrate sexual immorality and perversion, Sin. I enjoyed how Sister Ivy broached that subject on Wednesday night, if you were not here and heard that, as she talked about that and the symbol that God gave after, after the flood of Noah. But there's so much confusion. There's confusion. Children are being raised up confused. They're being trained not to know whether they're a boy or a girl. They are being confused. There are people setting up these drag shows in front of little children, at libraries and schools and places across this nation. And my goodness, they've got two choices. They can repent, which they need to, or they may, may as well tie a millstone around their neck because that's what's going to happen, the Bible says. God is not the author of confusion. And just as in the days of Noah, just as in the days of Babylon of Nimrod, God's judgment is imminent even today. But I want you to notice that at Babel, God's judgment came with great mercy, actually. He could have killed them justifiably. And perhaps he did, at least Nimrod and his wife. We doesn't say so, whether he did, whether he didn't. But we see that the many at that time, what God did with his judgment is he confounded their language. And he caused them to do his will anyhow. He used unwitting individuals to fulfill his will and to replenish the earth, during which time it seems most of them would have another chance to get right with God and to come to a place of repentance. Most of them, it seems, would have another chance to turn from their wickedness and their rebellion and their false religion and align themselves with the word and the will of the one true God. And we serve that same God today. He's rich in mercy, the Bible says. And when he tells us in not so many words that it's my way or the highway, literally. It's because He loves us, Amen. And He's no, and He knows what's coming down the road, Amen. And I want to, I want to open these altars this morning if our praise singers can make their way forward. If there's anybody in here today that maybe you're having a, some struggle uh, in your life, perhaps a struggle with the flesh, a struggle with sin, perhaps a call from God in in one way or another, and it's a little scary and a little difficult to submit to God's will. I want to ask you, I want to invite you to this altar to talk to the Lord, to ask for God's help this morning. Come ask God to help you. Go ahead.